WebmasterRadio.fm. Make an impact on your interactive marketing through performance, advertising, community outreach, and technology. Be captivated by the people who are leading the wave of change in the online marketplace. This is who AdTech is. Your weekly radio show. Get behind the scenes with industry giants. Be privy to the insider track. Witness the newest technologies. Make sure you're in the scene each week with AdTech Connect. You're connected now with your host. Hi, everybody. This is Susan Bratton, the AdTech Chair and your host of AdTech Connect. We have uh, three three guests on the show today. And my theme for the day, you know that I like to have my theme, is understanding branding. We have Laura Lee Albin. She's the president of Albin Design, LLC, out of Santa Cruz. She's also a keynote at the AdTech Chicago show coming up this July. We have Duran Wesley, who is the VP of the media practice at Millward Brown, a major research house, and he's just made a move there. So we get to talk to him about what he's been doing and what he's going to do. And finally, we have David Rogers. He's the Associate Director for the Center on Global Brand Leadership at Columbia Business School. And he has a conference he's been working on called Innovative Marketing Conference, or IMC. That's coming up next week, June 8th and 9th. And we're going to hear about what's happening at Columbia, what kids are like today, and what's happening with branding. So let's get started. Let's get Laura Lee on the line. Hi, Laura Lee. Hi, Susan. How are you? Fantastic. I'm really, really good. And I'm hoping that you and I can talk about what, you, what you're doing at AdTech um, with both your keynote and the personal workshop that you're doing. But before we do that, let's get into what Albin Design is and a little bit about you. You want to fill our listeners in on Albin Design? Sure. Thanks. Well, uh, I used to do traditional design. I used to do a lot of branding. And then I moved into being a pioneer in interaction design. And in 2000, I asked myself, how big can design be? How profound can it be? How can I use design to create huge transformations in the world, in society and business and the environment? And so I created a design process called the Sea Change Design Process to do just that, to create profound and positive and lasting change in the world. So I do it with... Let me ask you a quick question about that. First of all, let's go back to one of the things you said. Let's break this down a little bit. Um, interaction design. I, I'm not f- familiar with that term. What does it mean? Oh, that means designing uh, the way the interface is. It's, it's a lot of what you're doing now with uh, a lot of what the um, people that are involved with ad tech that are coming to ad tech are doing. Uh, but we were doing it in the 90s. We were doing interfaces for, uh, we, were, we were there when, the, when we were working on web interfaces, um, on websites, on uh, interfaces for um, handheld PDAs, for all kinds of things like that, um, when nobody knew what interaction or interface design was. I used to sit in meetings at Apple. Um, we had designed the Mac OS brand and, and thematic appearances for the way that your desktop looks so you could personalize them. And I was in the when we moved out from New York from uh, doing uh, traditional branding in uh, in our firm there. We moved out. We were sitting in a meeting in Apple. I think it was in '90, and I was taking notes because people were talking about windows and menus. And I thought, what is this world? And it, and that's what it was all about. Because then I took a note and I I wrote chicken meatballs. And I thought, what are we talking about here? So finally, I learned that. In this world that you're in and we're all in, it's okay to say, I don't know. And the answer came back, well, that's what's for lunch. So interaction design, for me, would be what, what we would call UI, user interface design. That's the same thing. Yeah, well, you could say. 
Okay. And then this whole idea of using design in what you call a sea change or using design that leverages to <clears throat> maybe the greater good of humanity. <laughs> you yeah, have a very big mission, Laurelie. Yeah. I at, what point in your, at what point in your life did you go from, I'm going to design pretty interfaces for people, to how can I change the world with, through design? What happened? Well, I got a divorce, I closed my firm, you know, major, major, uh, major life changes that caused me to really reckon with what was meaningful in the world. And I found that that is a question that everyone is asking and everyone always has been asking. And design is one way to find answers to that. And uh, I think that I think we're all coming up against this, this point where um, we're realizing in business that profit and, and productivity are just not enough that there needs to be something profound to give meaning to the work that we're doing and relevance to the work we're doing in the world. And there's been a great, um, a great receptivity to what I'm doing with my work in that area. So you're using design to create change in organizations, and you're trying to foster integrity, innovation, and the big one, sustainability. When, you, right. when you come into a company and you say, Let, let's talk about your deodorant, in the case of Procter & Gamble, how, how can you go from let's work on this deodorant product to let's think about innovation and sustainability? What has to happen to make that go? Well, first there has to be an intention. And the intention that we began with was how do we create a sustainable innovation capability? So how do we create innovation ongoing forever, which is not that easy to, um, to have happen. And it doesn't come from top-down directives. There are many... People in senior management that I work with that say, well, let's just, you know, we'll just send out a memo and we'll say we need a 2% increase in innovation and we need it by the next quarter. And that's not how it happens. It happens from deep within the beings of each of the people that are coming to work every day. So when I uh, set out to create a culture change in Procter & Gamble to that, to that effect so that they could have a pipeline that was filled all the time, putting out products that really... Um, really contributed to the confidence of consumers, uh, we started working with the people who showed up every day. We created a team. It was a, a year-long prod, project that uh, produced all kinds of profound insights. And um, when you unlock a culture and when you actually direct it and harness it towards what is really powerful besides profitability and besides um, what the corporate um, dictates are, you find that people are really enlivened, and they get in touch with, for instance, at Procter & Gamble on that one, um, Secret is one of the brands. Old Spice is another. Old Spice um, became first in the male grooming market as a result of the work that we did. But the organizational change, the way that scientists were keeping their doors open and sharing knowledge, learning is critical in any, in any uh, company going forward, especially as we move into the creative economy or the design economy. And uh, one of the things that, that really showed up was that people felt that they had um, lost connection with what the greater company was doing. And when I pointed out to them that they actually had a self-esteem campaign for teenage girls that was saving lives, it shifted everything with the scientists in the lab. And they didn't even know what was going on. When I pointed out to them they had a sustainability report and they were doing amazing things with water and hygiene and education around the world, they didn't know that was happening either. So part of it is what I call connecting up the creativity continuum so that it reaches from deep inside the people who show up to work today every way out into the world all the way to the planet. 
Do you think that it was just lucky that those two programs were happening, or do you think that any place that you go, there are good things happening that you can connect together? I think there are good things happening everywhere. I think the problem is everyone's working in silos and functions that don't talk to each other, and they're all in a ward of the death to get promoted and, and rewarded in ways that um, don't necessarily serve the greater whole. So you have this process, this kind of patented Laurel Albin thing you do called sea change design. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Right. And what is that? Uh, it's a really exciting process that I use with individuals in workshops like the one that I'm going to do for you at AdTech. Um, and I, I use it in coaching and uh, I use it with leaders, basically. That's who I work with. Okay. Uh, and then I use it organizationally to create culture change and to do uh, business strategy and new product development. And then I use it on global issues like human rights in Uzbekistan, which is probably the most sobering um, project that I've worked on to date. And the process is, uh, is, looks deceptively simple, but it's actually very easy to grasp. It's when you use it that the, the true uh, possibilities show up. And the idea is it's a metaphor about the way that the oceans move water around the planet. And it uses images that we all know, like ripple effects. So if you want to create a ripple effect in the world, what do you need to do? You need to throw a stone. Or you need to be a fish jumping up from the deep. And so the first thing we do is we look at what is your intention? What actually are you creating here? It's not a goal. It's not a vision. It's actually a ground of being. It's something in the form of a question that allows you to find the right answer. And we move on to understanding the whole context in which you're operating, um, what's important from both the design that you actually want to create, the artifact in the world, whether it's messaging, marketing, um, or it's actual products and systems, and how they ripple out, so how people interact with them, how that in turn changes their behaviors, think, act, feel, and connect in the world or not. And when they are moved, then how they change the culture, they're parts of the world society and the planet. So then you move into relationships and what the critical ones are that are necessary to be connected up, to be built, to be strengthened, and then flow, of course, in the end. It's all about creative flow. And I mean the way water flows. I mean the quality of it, the velocity of it. So what does creative flow look like in terms of results that we measure in four ways? In um, economic prosperity in environmental stewardship, in social responsibility, and, of course, design integrity. Man, that's a, that is a lot. Um, too fast? What? Did I say that too fast? No, 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 not at all. I'm, I was just kind of going back to prosperity. Of course, that's the cor- thing corporations care the most about. But then you're bringing right. the environmental consciousness, the social consciousness, and then in design integrity. I know that you've done uh, – can you tell us how that manifests in your – Human rights protection in Uzbekistan, that would be an interesting application of the, the out, these four outcomes that you, that, that you create in your sea change design. Well, that's a great question. I, you know, obviously, if you're up on the news, it's um, a very difficult situation. Uh, right. um, and it's probably not the best one to answer, given that a lot of it I can't reveal. Um, but suffice it to say that in the inquiry about what does it take to create new ways of protecting human rights in Uzbekistan, all of those things came into question. So what is human rights? What is the culture of Uzbekistan? Why would Uzbekistan even care about human rights? And that gets into the whole area around um, 
of funding and economics, and um, you know, we, then we're rapidly into uh, the war, and uh, we're into um, the RLC. And when we were doing the process, I said, so we need, we have in this ripple that we're creating here um, that actually produces human rights eventually is our intention. Um, what about the environment? And they couldn't make a connection. And in the end, they realized that the RLC was a huge one because of the anthrax buried there and because of the um, germ warfare and because it's of the cotton fields and the draining of that sea that's exposing um, the, the toxic waste dump that's there. And that had a big, enormous effect on, on what we ended up uh, deciding to do. And when you were working on this human, human rights issue, with whom were you working? Was it the government of Uzbekistan? Was it a, a, a not-for-profit not group in America? How did you get this job? Well, I was working with international ombudsmen that uh, worked with uh, the UN Development Agency. And how did that come to you? Uh, through my network. You know, you put it out there. It's all about intention, you know? Yeah. I say, I want to I create transformation. I've got a way to do it, and I've got a way to think systemically about things so that we understand the interrelations, and the opportunities show up. I like it. And you've also been doing some workshops for women specifically, haven't you? I have, I have. They've been very exciting. I actually do workshops for leaders, and I realized that after I spoke at the Women's Forum for Economy and Society in France last year, which was a real uh, eye-opener for me, it was 500 women world leaders coming together, coming together to look at how to, in my words, redesign the world so it works. Um, and there were men involved as well, but uh, men who were supportive of and willing to listen to how women view things. When I came away from that, uh, where I did two workshops, um, one is similar to the one that I'm going to do for you um, at AdTech Chicago, uh, when I came away from that, I realized there's enormous power when women work together on their own transformation and then they're transforming the world. And I found that there are three things that women are really great at if they own them. That is leading, weaving, and creating. And the difference is we do it together. So leading, leaving, and creating. Put some leading, flesh on that weaving. Form. Weaving is the second. Weaving, weaving like okay. Weaving, as in collaboration. Okay. Leading, weaving, and creating. And, and how uh, did you net out at those three things that you think women are good at? Uh, well, I, uh, working with women, you know, uh, coaching women executives, um, being at this conference, doing a lot of uh, being one myself there. There's a good <laughs> Being one. It's <laughs> one to know. I knew there was something important about that. <laughs> Me, I'm one. <laughs> so if, you know, a lot, uh, a lot of the listeners for Etta Connect are men, and we have a lot of men in our business running mm-hmm. businesses, yep. running, the, running the businesses in our industry. Not as many women yet. Um, but if you were to speak to a listener and mm-hmm. tell him how to leverage those three capabilities of the women in his company, leading, weaving, and creating. What are some of the things that you would say, hey, you have a huge opportunity here with the women in your organization to do this, give them this to do? What would it be? Work together. Teamwork. The biggest biggest, uh, problem that I see in corporate America uh, is this this, uh, combative competitiveness that's going on all the time and uh, this devaluing of all of us as human beings. And uh, it, in the end, it's not really a matter if, if we're, what our sex is. What matters is that, um, that we're committed to working on something that will transform our business or the world. 
And uh, I, I think, you know, w- what I'm reminded of when you ask that question is uh, when I was pregnant um, with my son, who's now a strapping 18-year-old almost, and uh, I found out that uh, I resisted having ultrasound for till the last day. And finally, my OB said, you're going, you're, you're going to have it and t- if you want me to deliver this kid. So I went and found out that I was having a boy, and I called up my coach at the time, and I said, I'm terrified. I don't know, I don't know how to do boys. I had two sisters. We had three dogs that were female. I mean, I didn't even know men washed their hair till I was in college. My father was bald. And he said to me something that I have never forgotten my whole life. He said, but you know how to raise a human being, don't you? Mm. And I think that's what it's all about. I think if we give ourselves permission to just be human beings, everything shifts. It's hard. <laughs> well, well, you are going to bring some humanity to Ad Tech Chicago. Uh, first, you're doing a keynote on Monday at the end of the day, on the first day of the show, and you're going to talk about the five essential components that are key to building this sustainable, creative capability in an organization. Mm-hmm. And you're going to talk about how to move beyond just profit and productivity and and you're gonna, your, your um, presentation is called The Creativity Continuum, Designing a Strategic Flow of Ideas and Innovation. Can you talk a little bit about, pique people's interest about your presentation, your keynote presentation at AdTech? Sure. Uh, I think one of the hottest topics in business today is really how do we get a new um, meaningful consumer insights and how do we translate those into breakthrough products? which in turn we can continue to translate on and on and on, way beyond the next quarter. Now, setting up a a creative continuum like that is actually what business needs. It's at the heart of it. So I'm going to talk about how you actually set up a continuum that links deeply into the people who come to work every day and uh, then rockets up to hit the surface of the waters in which we are all operating I'm going to talk about uh, what, what it means for marketers to actually look at what it is they're marketing and transform it, give messaging around it, push it out, and get pulled back to create reciprocal flow through them, connecting the consumers with the companies that are innovating in profound ways in a way that actually creates flow all the way out to world society and the planet and back. So from the products that need to be sold to the planet and back is what the continuum flow is from our depths of our humanity that responds to universal flows that are going on now, universal forces that will blow us right out of the water if we don't really pay attention, and that has to do with climate change and terrorism and globalization, to name, and technology, let's add that, as a huge force. So one of the questions that I'm going to leave the audience with is, Marketing and technology, if you take the power of of advertising, its reach, and you take the power of technology as a continually borning um, area of creativity, if you put those two things together, what does it equal? And what it equals is really up to each one of us as we look at our individual and collective responsibilities. I think it's a huge stretch. In in my mind, I'm struggling with the idea. I, I look at the first example we talked about with uh, secret deodorant and Old Spice cologne and the fact that you managed to connect that back to have some human positivism 
and now I think about a lot of the products and services in our industry, the digital marketing industry, and I think to myself, you know, what what could you possibly do to, <laughs> you know, create sustainability and humanitarianism around um, a search ad or a blog feed or, a, a, you know, a, a, beha- a behaviorally targeted interactive broadcast spot? And I'm confounded. I mean, that, that's a big leap for my little brain. Good. How the hell do you because- get there? <laughs> and it's in the engaging of that question. It's in the just being willing to yeah. ask, okay, then how do I play? And how do I play in a way that transforms technology into an agent of change? Yeah. And what do I want to change? And what really matters? It's, it's, it's about that. It's about actually saying, wow, as I'm inventing all of these new technologies, as I'm collecting stats and metric, making metrics and doing all this kind of thing, for what? It's not enough that it's just cool technology, and it's not enough that you're a master of marketing. It's got to be bigger than that for it to last. So interestingly, my husband, you, you would really like my husband because he thinks the way you think. For example, he's decided that RV and mobile home parks are a great profitable business, and so he's mm-hmm. been investing in them. And, mm-hmm. and people make fun of him all the time, and he says, but wait a minute, I'm providing a clean, safe, beautiful place for people to retire. I'm mm-hmm. giving back in my quest for profitability. Yeah. And, and he's an inventor. He's patented a lot of different things. And he says, well, in, in me making money by patenting and licensing my patents and selling my patents, what I'm actually doing is creating products that make people's lives better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think to myself, dude, you are so cool. How great that I'm married to you. How great <laughs> that you think like that. <laughs> so apparently there are people like you and my husband around, thank God, because I've been just a mercenary my whole life. And I have a feeling that a lot of the people who are listening to the show today are thinking the same thing, like, ooh, I I, I better go listen to Laurel and yeah, learn well, how to so, temper there's myself. A, there's a huge business case to be made for for um, for creating profitability around uh, products that transform the world, and it's waking up. You look at what GE's doing, BEP's doing. I mean, there are companies who are really taking the lead, who realize that economically it makes really good sense to do good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. This is my last question. Uh, we're, we're almost done. Our time is up. Um, you, in addition to the creativity continuum and talking about these five essential components to build this sustainability and this creative capability, you're also going to do a personal workshop that's limited to, I don't I think we can fit 50, 75 people in the room. Um, so it's, you know, first come, first serve kind of a thing on Tuesday morning after your keynote on Monday night. And this personal workshop, you're going to help people design their own flow. Can mm-hmm. you tell us how you're, what the process is, what people will experience when they come to your personal workshop? Sure. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. I've, I've done this in quite a few places now, and um, usually there's a, um, it stampedes away with excitement. Um, we're going to talk about what design really is and how to use it to uh, stimulate creativity. Basically, um, what designers do is they create, and in my view, um, everyone is a designer. And so that means everybody creates, um, which is not actually common thinking out there. So if we go on that premise, then, the question is, what's the source of your creativity? And, you know, that, that, those answers vary. It will be very interactive. It will be very exciting. There will be a lot of sharing. Um, there's usually a lot of laughter. Some people are moved to tears, um, which is fine with me, because then that means we got in there. 
uh, we'll, a- we'll, um, we'll ask, well, then uh, if you've got your source of creativity that's actually infinite, then what are you designing with it? And I expect the results will be very, very different and varied. Um, and then finally we'll say, and then what are you really committed to? And how is that evolving our world? Nice. Well, I'm definitely going to attend that. And oh, I, I think you, you are really the poster child for Ad Tech Chicago because it's about that whole, that whole show. I've designed that whole show to be about the intersection between creativity and technology mm-hmm. because I think that's a lot about digital marketing. We have all these wonderful technological tools, but without the creativity to overlay on them, we, are, we have nothing. We have some speakers. Uh, Robert Kringle is going to talk about how to think creatively. We have a work shop called All You Need Is Love, using emotional buy-in to create long-term customers. And then, of course, your keynote, the creativity continuum, and your personal workshop. And so there's tons of great um, sessions, workshops, keynotes at the Chicago show to get those creative juices flowing. I hope that will um, be a lot of fun for people, and I'm so pleased that you'll be with us in Chicago. Thank you so much for asking me to play with you, Susan. <laughs> it's my pleasure. <laughs> I'm looking forward to the playing. Laura Lee, have a great day, and thank you for coming on Ad Tech Connect. We're going to a commercial break, and we'll be back in just a minute with Duran Wesley. Sit tight and don't move. Ad Tech Connect. We'll be right back. Google AdSense, how do I earn from thee? Let me count the ways. Google, you enable me to show targeted ads complementing my site so my visitors keep clicking throughout the day and night. It was so easy to apply and select the ad formats I liked. Since I've discovered AdSense, I've been filled with delight. So earn more with matching ads and you too can discover how. Just visit google.com slash AdSense now. Wow, looks like you caught another one. Yeah, thanks. That uh, makes 23 so far. You're kidding me. I haven't caught a thing yet. Really? Well, what kind of bait are you using? Same as you. Well, then maybe it's where you're fishing. What do you mean? Well, if you want to catch fish, don't throw your line out in the middle of a big lake. Take a smart look around for where the fish congregate, like over by this log. So I just have to look smart, huh? That's right. It's all about fishing where the fish are. Learn how you can fish where the fish are. Go to signup.looksmart.com. Signup.looksmart.com. It's no secret. Linking with relevant sites is a dynamic way to enhance site traffic. Avoid using unethical practices to promote your website. Obtain quality, relevant links with linksmanager.com. Since 1999, linksmanager.com has been the leading choice for managing link campaigns by thousands of websites. Editor-based link management software makes relevant link exchange ethical, fast, and easy. No software to install. Free unlimited support. Try linksmanager.com free for 30 days. Accept no limitations. I am jealous. I'm officially jealous. Brandy has a fabulous theme song. I love it. There are no good songs about Susan that I'm aware of. Susan, looks like I'm losing. I'm losing my mind. I'm wasting my time. I have one of those weather widgets. It's had little raindrops on it for I don't even know how many days, right? I've gone to Fiji. I've gone to Washington, D.C. to see the cherry blossoms. I've gone to Fort Lauderdale. And every time I come back, my little widget has raindrops on it.
I'm yeah. break it down. Break it down. It reminds me of Shrek. I love Shrek. I know you watch Shrek because you got some girls, right? They love that. What are you going to do when your girls are starting to do the stupid shit that you did when you were a kid? I, I have so many things to ask you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> This Susan song, I'm so excited. That's true love, isn't it? Ad Tech Connect, Thursdays, following the daily search cast, only on webmasterradio.fm. Now, back to Ad Tech Connect, only on webmasterradio.fm. Here's your host. Welcome back. It's Susan, and uh, this is my understanding branding session. Uh, next up, we have Duran Wesley. He's the vice president of, a, of the media practice at Millward Brown. Let's get him on the line. Duran. Hi, Susan. Hey, babe. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Good. Congratulations I'm just on your new here on your new song. Thank you. Oh, my song. Right. I know. I don't like it. <laughs> you don't like it? No. Every song about Susan is a crappy song. I, I, I always like my name, but now I'm having second thoughts. I'm going to change my name. I, no, I think, I think we should do a, do a search or at least write you a song. That's what we should do. Well, see, now I like the, I, I like the writing me a song. That sounds good. But, uh, hmm, are you, any, are you talented at that? Um, no, but I can at least give it a try. <laughs> well, you know, all right, so here's a really funny thing about you. I, um, I, I Googled you in preparation for the show today, and I, I have a few photos of you from various things where you've come to Ad Tech and we've gone out to dinner, and a lot of the pictures that I have of you, you're kissing someone. And um, then when I Googled you yesterday, the first, you were the, something about you was the second link in the organic results, and it was a photo of you kissing someone. Again? And, what? Again? Yes! Isn't that the funniest thing? Are you, are you just a big smoocher? I am a big smoocher. Are I you? I love to hold people and, and be, feel close to them. Absolutely. It's, oh, I think it's so part of my Dutch sweet. roots. You're, oh, that's the Dutch part of you. Mm-hmm. So you're Dutch and... Israeli. Israeli. Your yeah. mom is Dutch and your dad is an Israel guy? It's the opposite. <laughs> it's, uh, my mom is Israeli and my dad is Dutch. I got it backward. And have you lived in both Israel and in Holland? I have indeed. I was born in Israel in Haifa and I grew up in Maastricht, which is uh, in the southern part of Holland where the European Treaty was signed many, many years ago. Well, I'm going to live in Holland this summer for about six weeks. I'm swapping houses with a friend of mine's uncle. I'm taking my whole family. We're going to go live in Rotterdam in a 100-year-old house on a lake. And uh, so tell me what I need to know about the Dutch. Um, well, we obviously go Dutch, as you know, when we go to I've restaurants. Um, we love chocolate in the morning, so make sure that if you invite anybody for breakfast, you have some good chocolate there. Okay. Um, and uh, when you drink beer, don't ask for Heineken. I know that, you know, everybody loves Heineken. And it's a great brand. But try and venture out. Heineken has many other sub-brands in, in Holland. Okay. And I think you will enjoy all of those sub-brands that they have. Nice. So drink beer but not Heineken. Sub-brands of Heineken. Okay. Any particular ones? Um, there is Brandbier, which Brand. is v- Brandbier. And, Brandbier. Uh, yeah, it's, it's like fire beer. It's fantastic. I think you'll love it. And how do you spell that? B-R-A-N-D. It's part oh, of the Heineken family. Oh, my gosh. Hey, that's perfect because that's brand. And I know. And this whole this, this theme for the show today is understanding branding. So now we're talking about brand beer, but it's brand. Absolutely. 
I like that. Everything comes full circle. Maybe I'll even get a kiss out of this. What do you think? Um, I think I'm seeing you in about a month, so you've got <laughs> one coming at you. Woo-hoo! Now, and we'll get a picture of it, baby. Now, you're going to be on the hot seat at Ad Tech Chicago. Yes. And you participated in our very first one. Is that right? That's correct. So people are afraid of this thing, Duran. They when shouldn't I, when be afraid we do of this these, thing. No, they shouldn't be afraid. People are freaked out by the hot seat. What, you went to the first one. You saw it, and now you're willing to come get on the hot seat. So what would you tell uh, people who come to ad tech that they should know about the hot seat? This is a way to interact with people who have been in the industry for a while and who just are genuinely wanting to give anybody advice and, and just learn about the mistakes and the triumphs that we've all witnessed over the past decade in this industry. And it's just a, a, an easy way to connect with them. There's no panel. You can ask anything. You can ask about things that people may not be comfortable in telling, and they will anyway because they're coming there to share war stories. So it's a great way to, um, to learn. So the hot seat is like a party game, but it's in a session. But instead of going to ad tech and learning about behavioral targeting, you get to go mm-hmm. to a session where you get to learn about the other people in the industry. So yes. you're going to get up on the hot seat, and we're going to be able to ask you any question that we want to ask you. And you're going to probably tell us the answer. Is I will right? try, yes. So here's my question for you. What can you tell me about swing? You know, in the U.S., when you say that, many people think of many um, uh, um, parties around swing that may not necessarily be suitable for a one o'clock call, (laughs) but swing dancing in New York is something that actually connected me with with New York City. So when I came to the U.S. um, back after being uh, gone for about a year and a half, um, the way that I connected really with New York City was through the swing scene, which is a New York dance that was invented back in the 20s by uh, Frankie. Um, who is uh, a fantastic guy who's now over 90 years old and he's still alive. And um, uh, it's just my way of life, swing dancing. And I think that many people recognize swing dancing from the um, commercials back in the late 90s from Gap, where you saw the the swing khakis all around. And, of course, it originated, meaning the whole trend came about from San Francisco again, where you are. So, yeah, swing is a big deal in my life. So you have you always been a good dancer and that you naturally gravitated toward swing, or did you see it and think, I know nothing about dancing and I, I must learn this dance? I think you're going to laugh. You know, in the U.S., people tend to go to baseball or football when they go into high school. In Holland, we have, of course, soccer, which is very big, and of course now with the European Cup coming, or the World Cup coming up in Germany. But another big fad that was uh, 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 a big part of everybody's life in Holland was going to dance class. And so it's been uh, uh, a part of my life for a long time. Well, women love a good dancer, and they love a good kisser. So, And you're handsome, and you have this fabulous new job. So I can imagine that you're just swimming in babes right now. Is that true? I'm swinging uh, between clients, not in babes. <laughs> so we need to work on that. APB for Duran. <laughs> so you just changed jobs. You were at I the did. IAB for how long now? Two and a half years. Oh, it, God, it seems longer. <laughs> you know, when you're in a political organization, it, it, it does seem longer. <laughs> so you ran the research business there. And before Correct. that, you were at Terralycos, and yep. you did all the market research to support the ad sales for Terralycos. Is that right? Absolutely true. So you've been doing this for a long time. It's been part of uh, the evolution in marketing. So I started with Applebee's back in Kansas City, and they really um, learned me everything about planning and 
and how to create local marketing initiatives for all of the general managers around the country, um, and then step-by-step learning on how to plan radio and out-of-home. And then uh, eventually I got rolled into the interactive portion of it, um, which really was, uh, you know, when you were at Excite and other people were just everywhere and, and our industry was just booming and, and glooming all over the place. Uh, and, and what I found myself gravitating toor- towards was research, trying to prove what works in marketing and what doesn't work in marketing and looking from an ad sales perspective also how to better sell at publishers um, content to advertisers, but also looking from a marketer perspective, really how to enhance their investment um, and making sure that they actually um, choose the right media vehicles um, to plan and advertise their products. So Laura Lee Albin was on just before you, and she's, um, she's going to be keynoting at AdTech Chicago, and she does um, sea change work for corporations. And when I think about sea change, I really think about the XMOS sur- surveys or pieces of research that were done at the IAB as being sea change moments in our industry, true proof points about the synergy of media. Um, would you say, did you feel the same way about that? I feel even stronger about that. I, I've been in meetings where often, and even today, interestingly enough, I was talking here and, and about some of our clients, where you see that really the market research departments tend to be secluded and not necessarily inclusive of, of all of the other departments that are going on. Um, and, and you really see silos within companies. And, and what we found with Eximos and with all cross-media studies is that it really, um, in order for that project to succeed, you have to have everybody included from product marketing to sales um, to research and then as well as finance. They have to be part of that. And ideally, if you can get the CEO to be part of that, that's, that's a big win. And, and we were able to step-by-step step, as we were going through these studies involve all of these parties and start making them accountable for decisions and really seeing the interaction between the two. Often what we're seeing is that um, sales has a different objective than marketing or they have a different idea about their target audience and finance of course has a different idea about what's going to happen and where the investment levels are going to happen and so um, what what your previous guest is doing and what Exumos is doing really bringing all of those people into the decision making process um, creates a much better marketing result. So based on all of this work that you did over the years, do you, have you rolled all of this, this incredible energy that you put into bringing all these different constituents together and getting this research done? There's, there's a bottom line result in the research that you've done over the last two and a half years at the IAB. There's, there's an elevator pitch. There are three sentences that cull down all of the work into some proof points. What are those, what are those three points that you make? Before you ask a question, Susan. <laughs> so the three points that I would make is measure your entire marketing supply chain. The second point I would make is know where your target audience is consuming media and touching media. And the third is um, after you test and after you research, evolve. Be, be open to change your, um, your marketing habits and evolve into um, the learnings you're getting from the testing you've done. So those are the, the three points that I would make sure that somebody understands when they hear about XMOs or any cross-media studies. So there, there must be something. You've done all this research. You've proved all these points. 
there must be something that really pisses you off. Like you've friggin' proven this, this, and this, and people are still not paying attention. They're still not doing the third thing you said, evolving your plans and processes to leverage the learning. Where is that pain point for you? Um, you know me way too well. There's one pet peeve I have, um, and that's creative testing. Okay. I think that all media is, um, is being done a disservice when people are not testing their creative. And, and there seems to be this myth about let the creative people come up with a big idea and, and don't touch them and they'll know exactly how to convey the message to the audience. And, and while I agree that there's nothing better than a powerful creative, I mean, we, we can all probably rattle off a whole bunch of ads that we all remember and that move us or touch us or make us smile or make us emotional like a Kodak moment or whatever it is. Um, but just because the creative idea is fantastic doesn't mean that the creative person knows how to showcase that on a specific media vehicle. And that's where it comes you know, to play. Television works differently than newspapers. Newspapers work differently than magazines. And of course, the internet is a whole different animal where there's interactivity, there's so much more complexity to it. You can engage a consumer in various ways. It's not just about awareness, it's also about purchase consideration. And so um, you can't expect this big idea thinker or, you know, her or he to know exactly how to implement that in every single vehicle the right way. And so testing helps you do that. So would the idea, this, you're going to be mad at me when I ask you this, w would the fact that the thing that bothers you the most, which is creative testing and or copy testing, right, mm -hmm. be, uh, be that you're saying that to me because you now work at Millward Brown and they're like the biggest copy testing company in the world? Uh, and you're just like a total kiss-ass? No, 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 no. I'm a, a kiss-ass, but I'm a kiss-ass to other people. Uh, but um, not to that It's one. funny that you say that because I've had a conversation here internally, and, you know, one of the things that I think there's a big misconception about Miller Brown, of course, the roots of Miller Brown come from tracking and copy testing, but we are so much more than that right now. I mean, the company is focused on everything that has to do with advertising, we're a global leader in advertising and media and Marcom and, of course, brand equity research. So our goal is really to help, in, help a company in every single aspect. And so we do cross-media. We do DNA work. There's a whole bunch of products that people are, should become, are not aware and should become aware of what Movebron does. What's DNA work? DNA is part of the media practice work. We've got um, uh, several products uh, or solutions, we call them, within Movebron. Um, one of them is Cross Media that you're aware of. The other one is Channel Connect, and, and the last one that you just asked me about is DNA, and that's demand and activation. It's, it's trying to, it's not trying, it's actually understanding exactly where demand is coming from and what is activating your target consumers and where you have um, an opportunity to win over consumers and where you're, um, and where uh, you're, uh, investing your money incorrectly uh, when it comes to the, the audience that you, or your target consumers that you don't necessarily want to, um, to seize because those are opportunists and not necessarily people who will be brand loyalists. So demand and activation enables companies to understand their weaknesses and strengths when it comes to where they're creating demand and where those consumers are touching and being activated to actually purchase their product. Um, and it enables them to then reassess 
um, how to, um, uh, uh, you know, go after the op- opportunity that they have. So that's what DNA stands for. Got it. Well, that sounds like fun. That's not something you've worked on yet in your career, is it? It's something that I'm getting my hands on, and it's a very new um, solution that we're offering to uh, to clients, and, and it's it's all part of the entire media practice solutions that, that we offer. So now, as the VP of Media Practice at Millward Brown, is is your role? Do you are you kind of the P and L guy for that business? Are you responsible for sales, marketing, implementation, all that stuff, or what part of it do you own? Um, well, I work with Michelle de Montagnier, who heads up media practices for the U.S. and as well as globally. Um, my responsibility is the P&L efforts for the cross-media products that we do. Okay. Um, and and it's, a, it's an interesting combination that I think works well on my strength, which is I'm not a salesperson. We all, we all are in sales, right? There's, there's a, even the CMO of, of uh, Nissan who sits in Japan, Steve Willis, if you ask him, you know, what's your job, he'll say I'm a salesperson. I sell mm-hmm. metal. Right, so we, everybody sells, and, and that's my job as well. So I will go to clients with our client services team, and who are over, I'm sorry, already working with us, and I will simply explain to them what our media practice solutions are. And often they also come to us and ask us, you know, how do we need to invest? Where do we have opportunities? Is our media plan correct? And how can we measure that and understand the synergies between the vehicles that we use? And so my job is to work with them on that, advise them, consult them, help set up the research, and then make sure that whenever we have the results, we really look and scrutinize every single aspect of it so that we give them sound advice based on what we've learned. Um, so it's managing the P&L and making sure that we grow the business and have multiple cross-media studies done um, for all ad categories uh, in the U.S. So it used to be that cross-media was, was a proof point for uh, stating the value that Interactive had in the mix. And mm-hmm. now it's, um, it's evolved into understanding what the mix ratio should be of traditional and interactive for optimal sales. Is that right? You're dead on. Um, it was very easy in 2001 when we did the first case study with Daz. Um, or online because people were spending less than a percent online. And we knew that already media consumption with the interactive space was much higher. It was above 10% at that time. And so there was an imbalance going on. And Greg Stewart, who you know very well, mm-hmm. believed very strongly that we needed to move away from trying to prove that the click-through was the way to for our model and trying to veer away from just saying online is a direct response model and start showing that when you measure the branding impact of online advertising, people who just view the ads, um, you'll see that it actually impacts um, the purchase funnel from A to Z, and that you know because of the CPM prices and because people are currently um, only spending, or at that time were spending less than 1%, it was far more cost efficient, and there was much more room, room to invest more money into it. And so step by step, we had to, you know, all of us, including you with Attack and all of the, the shows you've done and presented around the country, we've all done the same thing, which is prove that point, and we've done it based on research, which we, you know, believe very strongly in, and I know you do too. Um, and now Cross Media has gone to a point where our goal from Millward Round perspective is to make sure that the companies 
um, every year and every time they launch a product or whenever they start a new marketing campaign, will measure every single media vehicle in such a way that allows them to understand where their target consumers are consuming the media because it changes so rapidly. People are now into gaming. People are podcasting. People are doing searches. You know, there's, there's so much. There's mobile right now, which is, of course, extremely hot. And even, you know, outside of the U.S., it's been hot for a long time. In the U.S., it's a growing segment of advertising. There's online video right now with ABC, of course, airing the shows, and they're putting, you know, ads in those shows for free. And then, of course, NBC does the same thing. And there's iTunes. With, so there's so many different opportunities, and the, and the landscape is fragmenting so quickly that marketers cannot rely on experience they've had 10 years ago. You know, when we were at Applebee's in 95 and we were doing advertising, I mean, things were changing, but it wasn't changing every year. And we didn't see a shift from audiences moving from left to right and constantly interacting with new devices. Now, I can't even tell you what's going to happen next year. I mean, I have some idea, and I think you have some idea, and we, we all know new devices are coming through, but we don't know how consumers are going to interact with them. And so... That's why we need to constantly measure it, and that's why we need to constantly optimize it. And sometimes online will be a very efficient vehicle. Sometimes it will be television driving that effort. It really depends on, you know, what the objectives are and what the product is. Well, Duran, I think you are officially a kid in a candy store of research, and there are so many things to measure. I know that in planning for AdTech New York, where you've promised that you'll come and debut some new research, we're, you and I are going to have a hard time figuring out exactly which things we should talk about. I'd love to have you back on the show at a later date, um, once you've gotten some time under you at Millward Brown, to share with us all of the exciting projects that you'll be doing. And uh, we're going to go to a commercial break now. Uh, this has been Duran Wesley, the VP of Media Practice at Millward Brown. Thank you so much for being on the show. We'll be back after this break. Sit tight and don't move. Ad Tech Connect. We'll be right back. Choose the right affiliate program to partner with? Hey, all we're trying to do is make the most money in the least amount of time. The answer is simple. JoeBucks.com, the world's leading herbal affiliate program. JoeBucks.com is the direct manufacturer, so there's no middleman. This will allow you to make up to 50% the highest payouts on the net and also get paid twice a month. Sign up today and watch your income grow. JoeBucks.com. You wouldn't just tell your web hosting company to just give you the next available random domain name, so don't do that with your phone number. A toll-free number that matches your company name or service can be invaluable and give you an instant nationwide brand name. Try the free vanity number search engine at tollfreenumbers.com. But don't wait, because 1-800-YOUR-NAME may never be available again. Tollfreenumbers.com. It's all about links, baby. Content is king, but links are what you need to get you those all-important organic search listings. Float to the top of your keyword listings within the major portals while driving targeted traffic to your website at the same time. Work with a company with a proven track record for delivering results for thousands of individual website owners and major Fortune 500 companies. TextLinkAds.com is your source for securing relevant links. Baby, textlinkads.com. I am jealous of Katie Kempner. If you're listening to her show, she's got this fabulous kind of hip-hop intro. There are no good songs about Susan. 
which I love Shrek. I'm an ogre. Well, see, you're my kind of guy. You're technical, you're super smart, and you're tall and handsome. We need a little time, you know, to be together. Fantastic. You're too hot not to be married. Some woman snatched you up already, is that right? Fiona and I are married now. And you sound like a Texan. Are you a native Texan? I'm an ogre. All right, will you play a little game with me? Oh, you mean like sorting the mail and watering the plants? You don't have to kiss my butt or anything, don't worry. Add Tech Connect. Only on webmasterradio.fm. Join the club, we've got jackets. Now, back to AdTech Connect, only on webmasterradio.fm. Here's your host. Welcome back. It's Susan Bratton. Our guest is David Rogers, the Associate Director for the Center on Global Brand Leadership at Columbia Business School. David? Hi, Susan. Thanks so much for having me on. Oh, God, it's our pleasure. So you are an author, a teacher, a lecturer, and now you're doing, doing a show. That's right. We've got uh, we've got a, a conference coming up next week. Um, we do a lot of things at our at our, uh, our center here at Columbia. Actually, uh, the, the Center of Global Brand Leadership started at Columbia Business School, but is now actually a, a global partnership of business schools. We're in uh, Europe, uh, Asia, as well as the U.S. You're just and, Singapore, uh, Singapore and Munich, is that right? Exactly. We've got uh-huh. Munich and Spain. Uh, okay. In Europe, we have Singapore, Korea, and China, and Asia, and and of course New York City and. Columbia Business School uh, here in New York, where it all started. Um, but uh, we're all working together around the issues of, of, of branding and and how marketers can build and sustain uh, strong brands and and do a lot of things related to that. We work with our corporate sponsors. Each each school has its own corporate sponsors, and we do uh, we do research. Uh, really research focused on real world challenges. This isn't the kind of really abstract kind of academic side of, of research that, that also gets done at some of the same business schools, but really, you know, focused, uh, uh, real world problems. Um, books, as you mentioned, um, book I wrote with, uh, with Baron Schmidt, who's also our executive director, was on uh, There's No Business That's Not Show Business, uh, Marketing in an Experience Culture. So um, we, we do a lot of uh, publications for and, and, and in, in industry trade uh, magazines, uh, articles as well on uh, pressing issues and, and things that are going on in the field of marketing and branding. Um, and... Uh, a lot of media appearances. It's great to be here. We, you know, people I think come to the Brand Center because we're we're, we're global. We have a you know a, a bit of authority. I think taking sort of the academic and the researcher perspective as well as the uh, the practitioner perspective. So uh, you know, we get invited to talk on the pressing branding issues of the day, whether it's CNN or BBC or the Daily Show with John Stewart was filmed in filmed in here recently. So. Uh, so what do you think the pressing issues are for marketers? I mean, I know that's what you're hoping to um, uh, hoping to surface in your innovative marketing conference. What what, what I sensed from the IMC con- conference is that you're 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 almost stating that there's a de- you say there's a significant debate brewing between technology innovators and traditional marketers. 
about the driving forces behind the latest trends in marketing innovation. What, what that sounds to me like is all those old marketing dinosaurs don't get how technology can help them, and they're resistant to leveraging it. Is, did I read that wrong? Well, that may be a little more confrontational than how everybody is, but I think it's a big question, and, and, and people have a lot of different points of view. Nobody at this point has their head so far in the sand that they think things aren't changing. Right. Um, but the question is, how much is changing and what is changing? Um, and, and some people, you know, feel that the entire field of marketing is, is going through a, a major upheaval. Others point to the fact that a lot of basics are staying the same. Maybe some of the issues of implementation and just where you're going to spend your money are different. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's probably somewhere in between. It's not just how you're dividing up your, your media budget. Uh, new media, new technologies, new empowerment of consumers is really affecting the whole way communications can happen, the whole role that branding can have both for companies and uh, for consumers who are, who are owners and constituents as well. So there's, there's a lot of issues. That's why we're sort of casting a really broad net in this conference or other Global conferences have tended to be more focused on a specific area, such as creativity and branding, um, and brand valuation, uh, branding and design. And this is this is really looking at the this kind of big question of what is the new foundation for marketing going to look like. Um, so I think it's going to be very exciting. So what do you think marketers' pre- most pressing pressing <laughs> pressing pressing issues are around this new foundation? I think. It really comes down to what's the role of their relationship with the customers. You know, all this technology and new media, why it's a little bit scary and why it's uh, a a big bit important is because it is changing that relationship. It's changing the role of customers. We're going to have folks talking, looking at, you know, really what are the threats and opportunities uh, of of the online world. We've got... A lot of new areas like mobile marketing, a lot of consumer-generated media. You know, brands are no longer just being created by companies, but uh, you've got people everywhere taking content, creating you know new ads, versions of ads, creating movies, spoofing, parroting, uh, writing love letters to to ads. There was a uh, you know one of our participants, Max Kalehoff, who's from Buzzmetrics. Uh, uh, you know, had forwarded me. Recently, an email, uh, a link to a uh, an online ad. It was uh, of iPod. It was called iPorn, and it had a lot of uh, sort of quasi pornographic imagery, but all based on the silhouette style of the iPod. And it was this very funny kind of homage to the whole culture of iPod. And you know, for some people, it might have been seen as as a negative. I, I think for the people who created it, it was a real embrace of the brand. And brands are getting fragmented that way. It's not one communication now that goes out to everybody because a brand means different things to different people. I'm trying to think. I was on some crazy website yesterday, and, oh, I know what it is, banned commercials. Have you – so if you go to Uh video.google.com and you search under banned commercials, Mm B-A-N-N-E-D, you'll see all these different uh, commercials that – that consumers have created that are a takeoff on, you know, the MasterCard priceless and, and all those yeah. kinds of things. And yet they're ones that consumers have generated for companies like IKEA and MasterCard, et cetera. Um, and they're funny as yeah. hell. And they have a real platform now, especially with, you know, new things like YouTube, the fastest growing site, I think, exactly. right now on the Internet. These aren't just 
something that's happening in isolation. Um, so there's, there's a lot of really critical issues. I mean, we're going to be looking at, uh, in the conference, looking at these, you know, the online opportunities and threats, um, looking at some of the, the sort of the new toolbox for marketers, everything from search marketing, mobile marketing, which is, you know, huge already in Asia and Europe. And, and one of these days we may have the, the infrastructure uh, <laughs> for real mobile uh, communications in terms of, you know, phones and so forth in the U.S., uh, buzz marketing. Um, also, we are not just looking even at communications. This is really the, the whole piece of marketing. So innovation as well. How are new how are new products and services developed, um, and how is that process having to become more responsive? And in some cases, getting the consumers very actively involved in the innovation and new paradigms of innovation, much more so than they've been before. Not just sort of testing out an idea, but having a hand in, in, in ideation of new ideas. Um, and in the afternoon, we're, we're stepping back to look at what are some of the changing roles? What are the, what's the changing face of the marketing department? What's the changing face of advertising and how it interacts with clients? Uh, what's the changing face of public relations, which is really changing a lot, um, you know, from blogs to so many other, you know, new, new outlets for, for communicating and for listening, which is really sometimes a forgotten uh, critical half of, of communication, whether you're uh, a marketer, a PR person, an advertiser, um, and as the as the customers get a bigger soapbox to stand up on with these banned commercials and a lot of other things, uh, it's really important to to do your listening as well as your speaking. Now, how much does it cost to attend the Innovative Marketing Conference? Uh, it is. Six hundred and fifty dollars okay. for, uh, for the main day, so uh-huh. really pretty affordable. Yeah. We're, we're we're doing it on campus at Columbia Business School, so that okay. helps us keep some of the costs down. Yeah. Uh, there's and there's a special the day before. That's on the June 9th. On June 8th, there's a smaller event that's um, for a select group of of senior CMOs and, and, and senior VPs in, in the marketing area. Um, but, yes, we do still have some spots, so if people are interested, the best thing is to is actually contact us directly. Um, you can email us at contact at globalbrands.org, which is our website, G-L-O-B-A-L-B-R-A-N-D-S.org. Brands.org. Nice URL, David. Yes. Well, we got, and, we got it in pretty early. And, yeah, I'll say. And you're, you're also doing this in partnership with Carante, right? Exactly. Carant, yeah. which is uh, the world's first blog media company, um, has planned this conference and been working on it with us from the beginning. And uh, they've been a great partner because it's really helped bring in, um, I think, a different kind of perspective, a lot of early adopters uh, of some of the new innovative practices um, getting involved in this as speakers and participants even more than the people we've we've drawn with our events in the past. And we're really trying to expand. It's not just a meeting and a conversation uh, on the day of, um, but we've been doing Skypecasts, which is brand new. I guess our first Skypecast, uh, these were discussions with, with some of our speakers and presenters, you know, done this sort of a conference call through Skype. Uh, our first one was, I think, one of the first Skypecasts ever. They had uh, Skype did a lot to promote it, um, to show off this new capability and their new beta version, and that was really great. Um, we're going to have live log jamming at the conference. So the difference between a Skypecast and a podcast, as I understand it, is that in a Skypecast, it's a multi-user kind of a thing where people can all, it's like a chat room, it's like a video chat room instead yeah, of just a one-way thing or the two of us. 
the heart of you know the heart of Skype is a voice over IP. It's not um, it's not a, a new technology, um, but you know those American marketers. We sort of took what uh, what people in Europe were doing well already, things like voice over IP, and bundled it together with um, instant messaging and some other inter, uh, communication technologies into a single interface that works really well um, and is very you know user accessible and is really being used to create a community around Skype. So it's, I mean, it's taken off a lot as a, you know, internet telephony. Um, so this is the latest, you know, the latest idea is you can get a group of people together all on a call and they're speaking. You can be instant messaging. You can have somebody who's the interviewer and the moderator who can then select who can pose questions to the group, you know, at which times. It's a, it's a really neat interface. I encourage others to, uh, to check it out at Skype. Now, how, how big an impact do you think this is going to have on the podcasting world? How, what percentage of all the things that are currently podcast do you think are going to convert to a Skypecast format? Oh, I, I don't see this replacing podcasting. In fact, we're doing both. How uh-huh. we've done it is we do the Skypecast as a live uh, call, which has got you know a moderator posing questions to one or more of our of our. Uh, speakers and panelists, and then we open it up to Q&A with, with, with callers, but then the whole thing is recorded, and then afterwards we post it as a podcast. So we're using both media, and I think they fit well together that way. I don't see it as, as replacing podcasting at all. I have two questions for you, and then our time is up. The first okay. one is your book with Bern Schmidt. There's no yes. business that's not show business, marketing in an experience culture. Would you mm-hmm. define for our listeners what you mean by an experience culture? I mean that our culture, meaning our consumers and our business culture as a whole, has has become one where people are really expecting not just from products and services, but from a lot of other things, to have a more interactive, a more kind of dynamic, in some ways more sort of maybe entertainment uh, encompassing experience with everything from the technology products they buy to the clothes they wear to, you know, when you go to a bank, it used to be a kind of a, a fuddy-duddy experience. You went and you waited in an uncomfortable chair, and then, you you know, now we have these retail banks. Everything is becoming more interactive, more personal, a little more human. Um, a lot of, you know, what used to be sort of traditional serious media now has to have an entertainment value, um, whether you're looking at CNN or anything else. And the fact is that this really touches on every business, whether it's large or small, um, mostly consumer-focused or B2B-focused, that uh, you know, to communicate effectively and really build strong relationships, you need to see what's the element, uh, what's the experience you're creating at every touch point with your customers. Okay. I'm going to switch gears completely from that sure. to um, I'm disappointed because we wanted to play some clips from your record. You are a saxophonist, not only that, a percussionist and a composer. Thank you. And um, you have a neat website, jumbierecords.com, J-U-M-B-I-E, records.com. And I was listening to some of your music yesterday, and uh, we tried to, br- to, to be able to get it on the show, but the music files were incompatible with our production system. Well, um, folks can go there to that URL if they're curious yeah. and, and, and listen in themselves. And I, I was fascinated by your album, Imaginary Homeland. You. Uh-huh have been playing with some um, African horsehair fiddles in rural Guyana and some of that, that um, water fiddle thing, 
or not water fiddle, water, water drum. drum. Yes, from Ghana. Yeah, yeah, in West Africa. Wow, that's an amazing yeah. instrument. Yeah. T- tell yeah. us about how what that what does it look like and how does it make that sound? Uh, the the fiddle or the the water the drum. drum. The drum, the Ghanaian uh, water uh, drum. Yeah, the Ghanaian water drum. It's that's a great uh, the opening track features that and my friend Mark Stone, a really uh, incredibly talented uh, guy who's also spent a lot of time living and studying in West Africa over the years. Um, it's it's inc- uncannily simple. A calabash, which is basically a, a, gourd. a giant gourd, kind of yeah. like a pumpkin or something with a, a thinner shell. And uh, if you cut it and hollow it out and dry it, you get something like a large, uh, really lovely bowl. They come in yeah. different sizes. So you take two of these bowls made out of gourds, um, both a hemisphere, and one is slightly smaller than the other. You put the big one uh, facing up, and you fill it most of the way with water, and then you float the smaller one facing down on top of it. What happens is, as you drum on the top gourd, the sound resonates through the water, and it creates this amazing sound, and as you can even move the gourd, the the pitch, you know, inflects, and it's, it's, yeah, it's a lovely instrument. Yeah, uh, just absolutely beautiful. So I hope our listeners will go to jumbyrecords.com and not only listen, but potentially order your CD online. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> it's lovely. I really enjoyed it. Great. Well, thanks yeah. very much, Susan. Well, we David, don't have, have any uh, African music at this conference. We have in the past. We even did some. Uh, we did a uh, a, a branding uh, opera at IBM headquarters once that brought in a, a variety of music. But we we do try to bring in the creativity of marketing to uh, a lot of different things we do in different ways. Nice. I agree. Uh, Stimulating the creative flow. That's a lot about what our earlier guest, Laura Lee Albin, was talking about today. And bringing those kinds of things in, I think, just makes us, makes, grounds us in in what we're doing. Because marketing can get very ethereal, can't it? Yeah, and it's it's really it should be about communicating something that's that's interesting to you know both sides both the, on both sides of the conversation. Well, I really appreciate all of the lovely articulation you've given us about your innovative marketing conference. I think AdTech and uh, Courant and uh, kind of cross promoting our our customers and your customers is a is a match made in heaven. Um, we're all about innovation too, so I wish you the best of luck. I hope you solve some of these pressing issues and let us know the answers and. Uh, Thanks. Maybe come back well, on the show and tell us tell us the answers you've come up with after your event. Terrific. Well, we'll have uh, it's again it's next Thursday and Friday, um, and globalbrands.org is the website, and uh, we are going to have follow up content after the conference, Susan. So we'll have some uh, some podcasts and blogs done by uh, uh, journalists at the at the event, and uh, love to give you some of the follow up discoveries. Send it on. David, thank you so much. This was David Rogers, the Associate Director for the Center on Global Brand Leadership at Columbia Business School and also co-producer, I would assume, of the Innovative Marketing Conference. Have a great day and thank you for coming. I hope we'll see you all at AdTech Chicago in July, London in September, uh, Shanghai in October, and New York in November. If you're going to be in any of those cities, come see us. And thanks for listening today. Have a great day. This is Susan Bratton. WebmasterRadio.fm